0: The world is looking for something more than what they're living, and many times they're not seeing it in the Christians around them.
1: Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with Pastor Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's Core Truth.
0: Well, we're going to be in John chapter 1 once again. And I entitled this message, Things in Common. Have you ever looked at someone and said, I have absolutely nothing in common with that person? You feel that you're a complete polar opposite of them. And maybe you are on the surface that is, maybe they're far more talented or knowledgeable than you are or vice versa. Yet in all reality, we all might have a lot more in common than what you think. For example, we all go through different seasons in life. Some seasons are filled with great pain, unfortunately, while other seasons are filled with total peace. You know, where life is a cakewalk, a bowl of cherries. That's when all of us seem to experience times of laughter and and great joy. We also share many dreams and desire things that give us hope for our future. For some, their dreams come true, while for others, they might not. But that still doesn't change us having things in common. Consider what these four individuals from four different backgrounds all had in common number one john paul getty do you know that in 1957 he was the richest man on planet earth and number two ariel from the little mermaid she's a fictitious disney princess and number three elmo you know him he's the star on sesame street and last but not least lucille ball from i love lucy what do they all have in common Well, they're all redheads. Okay. And speaking of other people that have things in common, what does Jennifer Aniston and Angelina Jolie have in common besides both being actresses? Oh, wait a second. Let's think happy thoughts. Okay. Moving on from that. But on a serious note, what if I was to tell you that we talking about each and every one of us in this room here today have a lot in common with the most notable prophet of the entire Bible. Jesus described him as the greatest prophet of all time, the greatest ever born naturally here on planet Earth. Now, you might think that I have completely and totally lost my mind. So who is this mystery prophet? His name is John the Baptist. Listen to how Jesus revealed who John the Baptist really was in the gospel of Matthew chapter 11, verse 9. I'll read it to you. It says, But why did you go out and see a prophet? Yes, I say to you, and one who is more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. Behold, I shall send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, when he says those born of women, some of you might think, well, wait a minute, was John the Baptist greater than Jesus? Of course not. When he says born of women, he says a natural birth between a man and a woman, and a natural birth was John the Baptist. Jesus was not a natural birth. That was a supernatural birth as the Holy Spirit of God came upon Mary. So he's talking those that were born of women. So know this, anybody can say anything about anyone. Anyone. Some drunk homeless guy here in L.A. could stand up and say, Steve Wilburn is a great guy. I think he should become the next president. Oh, that's nice. What a mess we'd be in if that happened. Okay, but anyway, but as you know, a compliment that is given is only as good or taken as serious as the one who is making the compliment. So when Jesus Christ the creator of the universe says, of those who have been born naturally, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. That puts John the Baptist into an entirely new solar system. John the Baptist was greater than everybody from the Old Testament. Now, just imagine that for a second. Think of the magnitude of that. John the Baptist was greater than Abraham, than Moses. Then the giant slater, David. So for John, he was one of a kind. This man, he had character. John had strong, he had a strong spirit. He had an incredible passion and an unbelievable drive. Yet Jesus went on to say in verse 11 that yet he who is in the least of the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. Wow. So who's the least? Well, that would be you and me. But how could we be greater? How could we be greater than John the Baptist if John the Baptist surpassed all of those in the Old Testament? How is that possible? Well, the Old Testament people of God were basically a people with earthly hopes, They were a people with their eyes fixed on living in the promised land and ruling, listen, an earthly kingdom. When Jesus came, the people thought he was going to set up a earthly kingdom. That's why they wanted him to crown him, you know, on Palm Sunday and make him the earthly king of an earthly kingdom here. Yet we as New Testament people we preach a risen from the dead, alive forevermore, Savior, who in First Timothy 2 4 says he desires all men to be saved. Well, today, as we have that as a backdrop. We will continue our study in the Gospel of John as we're going to look at John the Baptist and see if we can grasp onto those things that you and me have in common with him. Hopefully we can see the greater purpose and the greater plan that God has for you and for me because we are a people of destiny. So we'll consider three points in light of our title, Things in Common as we look at this life of John the Baptist. Number one, his beginning. There was a beginning, and it wasn't just from his mother's womb. It was from the foundation of the world that the plan started, just like God has a plan for us from the foundation of the world. Our second point will be his calling. There was a calling on his life from the beginning, just like there's a calling on your life and my life. And number three, we're going to look at his message And the message that John the Baptist had is the same message that we have today. So let's consider our first point, his beginning. As we read in John chapter 1, picking up in verse 6, it says, There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light. Of course, Jesus was the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light in which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came talking of course about Jesus to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. But they were born of God. We'll stop there for just a moment. Yes, John the Baptist was a man of great purpose. And every purpose has a beginning. His, like ours, was from the foundation of the earth. Know this. We're all alive for a reason. We have all been created for such a time as this. I believe that we are living in the last days. We looked at that extensively through our study through the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We are all surrounded with unprecedented hardship and difficulty in this life. For our, from our own social and cultural dysfunctions to all of the global problems that we have, from the a global economy to global warming, along with rogue nations like North Korea with their nuclear capabilities, or Iran that is aspiring to have nuclear capabilities of their own. But we, like John the Baptist, have been born to be lights to shine in this dark world that we're living in right now, this world that's been filled with disillusionment. That's why God desires to raise up an army of godly men, of godly women, to be a voice of reason in this dark world that we're living in now. We are called, you and me are called to reawaken this church. Not just this church, every church on the planet that's been filled with apathy instead of energy. Every church that's full of indifference instead of great purpose. Every church that's been filled with boredom instead of vision. You know, God says in His Word that without a vision, my people will perish. And we see denominations perishing from the planet here because they have no vision any longer. And the people are perishing within those churches. Yes, John the Baptist, He was a man with a calling from God. But first, let's look at His beginning. And He makes it perfectly clear who He was not. He was not the Messiah. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus came to shine bright into the hearts of people who are lost in their sin. But like we're told in verse 8 concerning John the Baptist, he came to bear witness of the light. Understand, the light that can and will enlighten our hearts in verse 10 was the one who made the world. It was Jesus who said, in the beginning there was light, and he was that light, and he created the light. Yes, Jesus is the light. So, who is John? Well, we know that he was a man that was sent from God. His purpose, to bear witness to the light. John's entire ministry was to point people to Jesus. But where did John come from? Well, let's look at his beginning as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. Now, Luke, as you know, was a detailed, explicit historian. He recorded John the Baptist's beginning. We're told that his dad was a priest named Zacharias, and his mother was named Elizabeth. Listen to how they're described in Luke chapter 1, verse 6. It says, And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Now, Now, it doesn't mean that they had never sinned in their life because nobody's perfect. The Bible says that we've all sinned before God. But their testimony was this, that John's parents had before God, that their walk was considered upright and blameless. What that means is this, they were not living in some known sin. They were not living some hypocritical double standard behind anyone's back. Yes, they were a couple that simply loved God and God was going to do the outrageous within their lives. I wonder how many sitting here today are only one vice away from being greatly used of God. There's just that one area of sin in your life that you keep succumbing to and falling to over and over and over again. And that one area, that one vice, that one thing that's got you shackled keeps holding you back from God really just pouring out his great mercy and grace on you to use you greatly in this life here. Wouldn't it be worth letting go of that vice of that one area of sin that seems to continually quench God's great purpose from being poured in and through you in this life to reach this dry and thirsty world This world that is starving for something that's real? A world that is so tired of dead and lifeless religion? How much longer do people have to look at Christians that don't walk the walk and they don't talk anything other than what the world talks about? The people are tired of looking at Christians who live a mediocre and mundane life. The world is looking for something more than what they're living And many times they're not seeing it in the Christians around them. Sometimes that has, you know, meaning and purpose is what they want. Show me something that's more than what I've already seen. Well, that's exactly what happened with this godly couple. Because in the midst of them being faithful servants of God, In the midst of them serving God and having their game face on and serving him at all times, they still had some issues in their lives. One of them was a great heartache for both of them. And what was that? And I'm talking, of course, about Zacharias and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. Well, the Bible tells us that they were very old and Elizabeth was without child, And that was a great hardship back in this day, because in this culture, to be childless was a reproach that was looked upon as a curse. Now, we know that without doubt, there's many women that have not been able to conceive a baby in this life, and it is not a curse from God by any means. It could be many other things that have caused them not to be able to have a child. But there was times in the Old Testament that God did specifically curse someone and a woman that would not be able to have a child because of their disobedience to God. Uh, For example, uh, David's wife, Michael, that was the daughter of Saul. That was his first wife before he sinned and took on many multiple wives. But this first wife, Michael, was cursed. And why was she cursed by God? Because she was mocking her husband, David, as he openly worshipped the Lord. And God cursed her for that. You remember the situation. It was David that went into the water tunnels of Jerusalem and he recaptured Jerusalem from the Jebusites and gave Jerusalem, the city of God, back to God's people. Then after he conquered Jerusalem, he brought in the Ark of the Covenant. And as the Ark of the Covenant was coming into the city, the trumpets were blowing, the people were singing, and David was jumping for joy and worshiping in front of the Ark of the Covenant as the priests were carrying it back in to Jerusalem. And there was much rejoicing. But that's when Michael said, oh, has the king made a fool of himself today jumping up and down out there? Oh, boy, God put a big damper on her for that. Yes, there was a social stigma for being childless. And of course, it went back to Michael. But God had a plan. That's when Zacharias was chosen to offer incense to the Lord. Now, he entered into the holy place. And when he walked in, there was an angel standing there. It was the angel Gabriel. And Zacharias, when he saw him, he was greatly afraid. And this is what happened in there. Let me read it to you out of Luke chapter 1, verse 13. It says, But the angel said to Zacharias, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him a name, John, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet he's in his mother's womb, and he will turn turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord, their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous. So as to make a ready a people prepared for the Lord. Wow. Did you notice that first part? He says, the angel, the first thing he says to Zacharias is, don't be afraid. Then he says, your petition has been heard. I could think of Zacharias thinking, uh, what petition? The thing I was praying for yesterday, uh, the week before that? No, the angel's like, no, the petition that you prayed 50, 60 years ago. What? Yes. When you were praying that, was answered by God. Like, what are you talking about? See, because they're very old now. They're all shriveled up like prunes now. See, he's talking about the petition that they were praying back when they were young. This is amazing. How many times have we prayed for minutes, a couple days for something, and it doesn't seem that anything happened, and we're like, oh God, you never hear my prayers. I mean, this is something that was prayed for possibly decades earlier, decades. And yet we sit there and say, God, you know, you're not answering my prayer. I've been praying for like, you know, 33 seconds. How come it's not? You're not answering me. Have you ever thought that maybe God did answer that prayer? Yeah, we think I prayed for something a year ago and God didn't answer me. No, actually he answered you the second you prayed for it. And the answer was no, not going to happen. Not going to happen today, not going to happen next week, not going to happen in 10 years because it's not my will for you. This is why we should always pray as James instructed us. We should always end every prayer with, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. See, many times people don't want to pray that way. Why? Because we want our will. Lord, this is what I want. And so we don't want to say, oh, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. Because if I say that, then the Lord won't give it to me. Well, good then you don't need it then. Because wouldn't you rather have what God's will is for your life than what your will is for your life? Maybe some of you honestly might say, well, no, actually, I kind of want what I want. See, but see, God says, no, I answer every prayer. Every prayer that comes to me, I answer every single one. I might answer it no. I might answer it yes. Yes but I might answer it the way that I answered Zacharias and Elizabeth. Yes, but wait. It's yes, but wait. See, God had a plan, and it was going to unfold in his timing, not their timing. I wonder how many of us give up, how many of us lose our hope, how many of us will move on to other things in life as we completely abandon God's will in our lives, all because we wouldn't wait on God's desired plan for us. We simply just jump the gun and we go for what we think is best while missing out on what God had preordained for us from the foundation of the world. Think about our impatience. Maybe it's an ungodly relationship. God, I'm just sick and tired of waiting for someone, I'm going to the club. I'm gonna find out. La vida loca. Let's go, man. This guy, we're gonna make it happen here. Okay. And just like, and then all of a sudden you find that person, you get married, and then you're just like, Oh God, what have I done? What have I done? Maybe there's a a a business decision and you're moving too fast on it. Oh no, we got to make it happen right now. I got to sign the contract right now. We're going to miss the deal. The deal won't be there anymore. And then you jump into some investment and you find out that you lose all your money because you didn't pray about it. You didn't take time. You didn't wait on it and say, Lord, is this where we should invest? Well, getting back to Zacharias and Elizabeth, they stayed faithful to God. They didn't become bitter because of the problem that they had. They didn't question their relationship with God. They didn't say, oh, why me? How come I'm not having a baby here? But rather, they just continued to serve the Lord. They continued to walk blameless in their relationship with God and with his people. And it's like, this is why core church is such a thriving church here today is because we have so many faithful people like this serving in our church. People pull into the parking lot. You want to park over here? They want you to park over there. You're like, but they have a smile on their face. Look over here. You know, all of this and they're welcoming you, but they're serving the Lord here. We have greeters at the door. We have people that put the words on the screen so you can sing along with the songs. You know, and speaking of the worship here, all the people you see on the worship team here, they all just serve here. They've all, They all volunteer their time and they use their gifts and their talents to just worship the Lord. And we have the people that put the cameras on and run the cameras. And we have people in the children's ministry to watch your children and all of these servants here. And they're people that are just like Zacharias and Elizabeth. Yeah, they all have issues in their life, just like Zachariah and Elizabeth did. But yet they come here and they serve the Lord with a whole heart and a willing mind. But yet now, the angel Gabriel is telling Zacharias that he's going to have a son. That his petition that started, who knows, 50, 60 years ago, is now going to be unfolded in his life. And not only is he going to have a son, but that he is going to be the forerunner of the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, of the whole world. Well, that was a lot to take in. (laughs) So Zacharias said to the angel uh, excuse me, sir, how's that going to work? My wife and I are really old. Look at us, we're shriveled up, okay? It's like, how's that going to work? He was obviously doubting the power of the Lord. So the angel said to him in Luke one nineteen, he says, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of the living God and I have been sent to speak to you to bring you this good news and behold, you shall now be silent."
1: Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you've been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting CORE CHURCH LA to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California 90034.